real. Hello there. Let me thank you for your invitation to come to be with you on this very special occasion of the 10th anniversary of your pastor, his wife, and children being in the ministry there at Fostoria Baptist Church. And for sure, for a pastor, his whole family is involved in the ministry, and I'm grateful for my son, my daughter-in-law, and my grandchildren who are serving you at Fostoria Baptist Church, and I'm thankful for the 10 years that the, the Lord has given them there. And I also thank Brother Dave Cooper for setting up the logistics of getting this opportunity to communicate with you there at the Fostoria Baptist Church, and I'm grateful that I'm, my wife and I were planning and hoping we might be able to be there, but that was not to be. And so we accept it as the Lord, and we're just glad we can speak with you by this means. Statistics uh, show that the average stay of a pastor in a local fellowship is much less than 10 years. In light of that fact, I wish to commend the Fostoria Baptist Church and Pastor Henry and Erica and the family. The 10 years of tenure is a notable achievement and is to be commended highly. As a pastor for many years, my longest tenure was 32 years. I know from personal experience that there are ups and downs and highs and lows and achievements and failures and a lot of sobering responsibilities. It takes a faithful man and his family and an understanding church body to accomplish that longevity. Was I a perfect pastor for those 32 years? Not at all. Was my church a perfect church? No, it was not. Is my son a perfect pastor? No, he is not. Is the Fostoria Baptist Church a perfect church? No, it is not. But the, by the grace and the mercy of God, your pastor and his family have served here you faithfully for 10 years. And many of you here today at Fostoria Baptist Church have prayed and served and followed for those 10 years. I thank you for that. And to God be the glory, the great things that he has done in this time. And I trust, with the Lord's leading, that many, many more fruitful years will be coming down the pike. This morning, uh, as I speak to you, I'm reminded about the boys that were on a school ground. There were three of them, three young men. They were bragging about their fathers. And uh, the first boy was bragging about the fact that his father uh, could take a piece of paper and scribble down a few words on it and call it a poem, and he could sell it for $50. The second boy said that that's nothing. His dad could take a few words and scribble them down on a piece of paper and call it a song, and he could get $100. Well, the third boy said, I got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes four people to collect all the money. Well, let me tell you, I don't know what this sermon will be worth in terms of money, but I do know this that our Lord has given it to us, and he's given it to us through his word and given me the opportunity to share it with you. So I ask you to receive it as it intended, and that is that the Lord would bless it and use it in every heart of every person who sits here today at Fostoria Baptist Church. I would call your attention in your Bible to the book of Acts, and it's chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20 gives us a, somewhat of an insight concerning the pastor and the ministry. Because in Acts 20, you have Paul the Apostle speaking to the elders of the churches uh, at Ephesus. 
And as he was passing through and he called for them to all meet. And what you'll read in the chapter is much about those people and what he said to them. I'll just give you a verse here to set the tone and then we'll move on to points that will be drawn from this text. First off, in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 27, Paul says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. That sort of sets the tone of what this is all about. It's about a pastor who's been here 10 years to serve the fellowship, the flock that God has given. And the calling that he put upon the pastor and his wife and his family to come here is evident by the direction and the way God worked in leading and directing and putting people in place and letting the church move forward to the decision to bring this family here. That's God's timing and God's planning, and it's all come together. And these 10 years are reflected on that. And I appreciate very much the way the Fostoria Baptist Church has blessed and handled the pastor and his family and ministered to them as they've ministered to you. I would say to you that the best churches are those that have a pastor who ministry is to, is made up of of service and sacrifice and selflessness and whose members follow the preaching of the word of God and become doers of the word, not just hearers. I want to talk to you in this time we have together about the priorities of a pastor's work and ministry. First off, we begin with the priority of prayer and preaching. Those go together, so I them, put them together so that we could both look at them together. First off, I remind you that in every case, a pastor has to spend much time in secret. You know, he loves to socialize, loves to get out among the people, but he has to spend time alone with God. I remember to this day the service at our church when I was pastoring years back, early in, that uh, we sang a congregational song. And I remember it was Fanny Crosby's song, I Am Thine, O Lord. And I to this day remember and reflect and rejoice in the third verse as our congregation sang it. Those words go, O the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. I remember that service and I remember that song because God spoke to my heart about that. That I had been praying, but I had been picking pieces of time to pray. And I had done it all through the day and the evening and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I am saying is that it became conspicuous to me that I needed to spend a coordinated time with the Lord where I could just pour my heart out about all the work, the ministry, and especially the people. You see, the priority of preaching is that the pastor has to prepare a sermon, get ready and preach that thing. He goes to before the people and he preaches that. But there's an important time that he goes before the Lord and prays for the people he's going to preach to. Because if a pastor prays for the people he's going to preach to, the people receive the preaching much better. And if somebody sits in the service and they're resistant to the sermon and so forth, it's probably because they are somehow not quite right and the Holy Spirit is working, but they're not cooperating. So I say to you, it's a priority of a pastor's life in his prayer life. But it's also important to understand when a pastor gets up and preaches the message, 
And your pastor does preach the truth. I sit and listen. My wife and I have sat and heard a lot of live stream services from the church and the ministry of the word. The fact is that the pastor can and does preach the truth, but only the Holy Spirit can make the application to the heart, and then only you can become a doer of it. So it's not a matter that the pastor can do the whole thing. It just doesn't work that way. What happens is he can preach it, and he can uh, get up and tell you what the Bible says and what we ought to do about it, but it comes down to you and me doing what we heard the Word say. And I can tell you that a pastor cannot practice the Word for you any more than a person who's trying to lose weight can lose weight because somebody else did it. It doesn't work that way. Oh, he can explain to you concerning sin in your life. If you've uh, sort of got out of bounds and you've gotten into sin, <clears throat> he can tell you that you need to face it, to fess it, as we say, and to forsake it. Uh-oh. But it comes back to the same thing. You have got to do the forsaking. So teaching the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, takes a lot of prayer and a lot of study. Now listen carefully. The more the church family obeys the truth preached from the pulpit, from the Word of God, the less a pastor has to step in and to moderate when conflicts come up. Because as people obey the Scriptures, there's less conflict to be dealt with. If I obey the Word and you obey the Word of God, then neither of us should have a conflict. In most churches, in the services and the work of ministry that I've had over the years of my work in ministry, most church conflicts is simply nothing more or less than a matter of someone not following biblical truth. We hear often say that a, a Christian, <clears throat> Christian that is not uh, uh, learned by experience, and that is that uh, we don't uh, go out and depend on our experience to get us through the Christian life. What do we go by? We do not go by experience. We go by exposition of the Word of God. We take what God says and apply it to our hearts as the Holy Spirit directs, and we obey that, and our lives are made to conform to the likeness of Christ. It's not experience. I know a man who's been married three times, and he's confident that he ought to be a marriage counselor because he's had lots of experience. He's divorced three people or two people and married to a third. That's not the experience that we need. We need Bible experience. Over the years of our ministry, we've had people come to our office. I recall uh, people married an unsaved person. That is, one was saved, one was not. The saved person married an unsaved person. And in time, as you would expect, trouble came. And it's bound to come. You disobey what God says, trouble's coming. It's just when is it going to come? The pastor is called, but the problem is Bible truth was ignored. And therefore, it's very hard to make any adjustment to the problem until that unsaved person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know a case of a, a man and woman who came and married couple. A husband just did not, does not and did not love his wife as instructed by the scriptures as uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. He just didn't do it. And his wife refused to submit to her husband in scripture as it declares. And so therefore the trouble came to the home in a big way simply because the truth of God's word concerning marriage was not practiced and not obeyed. The pastors are not fixers. You know, they're not handyman spiritually oriented. They are preachers who are armed with the Word of God, but if we do not obey that Word, there is no plan B. 
only thing you can do in these cases of counseling when somebody comes with this is to recognize where the failure came. And it came because somebody didn't listen to the sermon that was preached on Sunday or Sunday night or Sunday school or Wednesday night. That's why we have so much Bible preaching. It's so people have really no excuse to have conflicts in their marriage, problems with anything else that has to do with relationship. There is that problem of kids. When, uh, in fact, if there are people sitting in the Fox Story Baptist Church this day who are, who are recently married, let me tell you something. Don't have kids. Don't have kids unless, unless you're going to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know why? Because you see, they won't always stay like babies or little puppies. And you know, you enjoy them as a puppy and you let them get away with murder. And as they grow up, they try to practice those things you let them get away with. And then what happens as they get in teenage years and beyond, they become rebellious. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. And consequently, now those little babies who did not get saved earlier are going to be candidates for hell. And it's going to be a sad fact when you face that issue if you're a young parent and you have children that you did not train for the Lord. You did not get them in church regularly. You did not set a good biblical example in front of them. You, you may have quarreled between you and your spouse, and you may have criticized the pastor, and you may have criticized the deacons, and you may have criticized the church functions. And now it comes home to roost when the kid says, I don't want nothing to do with church. You're just paying me. You can pay me now or you can pay me later, but you're going to pay me. It's come home to roost. So I say it's always those things of violating biblical truth that gets us into these issues. There's also this thing that I say and mention to people, and it's uh, what I call the second aspect of priority. And it's probably the one that we're most familiar with, but sometimes we don't seem to quite get a hold on it. And, and that is the thing that not only is preaching and praying a priority with a pastor, but also pastors are to pastor. Uh, you'd know the word as shepherd. Pastors need to shepherd the flock. And the Bible sets that up as, as one of the examples. Let me call your attention, if you would please, turn in your Bible to, to uh, uh, John chapter number 21. John chapter number 21. In that passage of Scripture... John chapter 21, you have the uh, circumstance of uh, uh, the Lord Jesus. He was on the shore, and his disciples were out trying to catch some fish, and uh, they weren't catching anything and spent the night trying to do it. And so consequently, they came to this occasion where they uh, saw someone on the shore, and the person on the shore said to them just three words, Come and dine. Come and dine which meant come and eat. I've got everything ready for you, just coming out of your boat and come here. And they said, well, about the fishing issue. And so the point is he told them already where to put their net, and they caught 153 fish. So they dragged that net up to shore. They get out up there. And uh, consequently, the Lord then has a word after they've finished eating, and he speaks to Peter. And you know the story. you know. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Peter, this is verse 15 of John chapter 21, and he said, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? Now, I, have, I believe personally that he's talking about the fish. I don't think he was talking about any of the others because uh, later in the chapter, verse 21, uh, Peter 
when he's talking to the Lord in verse 20, and then uh, after what the Lord said to him, in verse 21, Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, talking about the man who was behind him, it was the, the uh, person of the disciple who Jesus loved, and he says, uh, what shall this guy do? The Lord's not interested in comparisons of one believer to another, and each of us have a plan that God has put out for us. So I don't believe the fish is what it was. I don't believe the persons were what it's about. I believe it was the fish that the Lord was saying, Lovest thou me more than these, not comparison to the loving of the other brethren. I don't believe that is in a church. There are some people's love just bubbles over, and there are others that just isn't that exuberant and passionate, but they still love the Lord. So the thing is, I believe he was saying, do you love me more than you love these fish? And there's 153 of them, and they were great fish. So in fact, this is a pretty good catch for a fisherman. And the Lord, and in that, he says to him, and the Lord says, uh, Peter says, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, feed my lambs. What's important about this is that in that uh, usage of the word feed, in the Greek, it's the word bosco. Well, he repeats this same kind of question in verse number 16. But here, when he asked, used the word feed, and he says in verse 16, feed my sheep, the word is not bosco, it's pomeno. Pomeno is a word that uh, means to, to tend, to rule, to shepherd. It's the very word from which we get our ideal of a pastor. So there are two things, and of course in verse 17 he goes back in the Greek, in verse 16, or 17 he goes back to that same word when he said, feed my sheep, because he uses the word bosco again. So here's the ideal of, of feeding, and that's what bosco basically meant, and pomeo is meant to simply to tend to, to rule, to shepherd. What this text teaches us is that the ministry of a pastor is to shepherd his sheep, and shepherding not only means to feed them, but it means that for sure, but it also means to lead them. Feed them, and then lead them. And he doesn't want you just believing. He wouldn't want any pastor just to lead by his own ideas or some philosophy that he's been picking up along the way in culture. That's not what it is. He wants them to communicate his word to his sheep. And the pastor is the under-shepherd, so he's supposed to do what the chief shepherd wants done, and this is what he wants done. And, and there's not always a, a unity in the church over things that are being taught. And I'd say this to you, you may not always agree with the pastor. That's, that's going to happen. But here's the deal. He's the shepherd, and you need to respect that as him walking with the Lord enough day by day and hopefully hour by hour. Then he comes to you with the message of the chief shepherd, and you're supposed to receive it as it's from him. And I remind you of this. You know, we're, we're to be brothers and sisters in Christ in a church, in a flock, in a fellowship. We are not have to be twins. Everybody doesn't have it be a cookie-cutter kind of thing. It's not the way it has to be. You and I can differ on some things and still love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, this place we, we call a church, uh, some people call it a, a sheep shed. And that's all it is. Your church building is a sheep shed. It's where all the sheep come together. And our idea of coming together is to be able to uh, listen to the shepherd. Take to heart what the shepherd says. Now back over in Acts number 20 very quickly. In Acts chapter number 20 when we were, there are two or three things here that, that jump out at you as you read the text. First off, notice down in uh, verse number 28, again, where we read before. Acts twenty twenty-eight says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock <clears throat> over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers. Now, here's the important thing. He was talking to these pastors, these elders from these church churches, and they 
area of Ephesus. And the first thing he tells them is that uh, he warns them, as it were, that there are dangers that are within us. Within us. And you have to get this in its balance. Look at verse 29. In verse number 29, he says, And I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you. Not only the pastors need to look out for their own hearts and, and happens and what happens within their own hearts, but he also has to look out for what's happening among the people or around the people, as we call it. And then in verse number 30, look what he says. He says, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw the disciples or away the disciples. He's saying this, that it's going to happen within pastors. You have to guard your own heart. You have to guard the heart of the people that may have a connection to the fellowship, around the fellowship somehow. But then look out inside the fellowship that there may be circumstances of people going to say and do things that are going to try to draw people away. And obviously that's of the devil. And he wants everything he can to, to cause discouragement, defeat, and everything else within a fellowship. I say to you, you have to watch out for that. And a pastor has to be warning the people what to watch out for. That's called tending or leading the sheep. It's interesting, too, when, when the Lord over in John chapter 21, when he called those disciples to shore after they'd been doing their work, he said to them, come and dine. Come and dine, remember? Well, let me tell you something. When a pastor is called to the ministry, in, uh, in essence, he, when he calls anybody, and technically when he calls every Christian, He's calling you to come and die. Come and die. Come and dying comes later. These apostles and disciples of John chapter 21 had already come and died. You have to die to self. You can't be a good pastor and not die to self. You can't be a good pastor and not die to your own will. You can't be a good pastor and not die to your own plans. You see, when you become a pastor, you die to yourself and your own plans and your own will, and you pick up the will of the shepherd, and he is to direct you and follow you. So a pastor has to watch and guard his own heart, and you as a member of Astoria Baptist Church need to pray for your pastor and his wife and the family that God will guard their hearts because the devil wants to get him, wants to get her, and wants to get his kids, wants to do anything he can to make them less effective as a church pastor's family. We ask you to look at another passage. Look, if you would, over in Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. In Mark 14, you have an interesting story. Look at verse number 17 of Mark 14. Mark 14, 17, it says, And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him, One by one, is it I? Another said, is it I? This passage challenges my heart every time I read it. And let me say it to you carefully but quickly. These disciples did not first think of someone else. They did not say, is it John? Is it Peter? Is it uh, Bartholomew? Who is it? They didn't say that. They said, is it I? You see, what that means is these disciples trusted more the Lord's word than they trusted their own heart. And every pastor has to do the same. Every Christian has to do the same. It doesn't matter what you feel. It's what God says that's absolute. And I say to you that 
a pastor has to keep his heart on guard because he has to keep an eye to that. That the devil wants very much to get him off track and wants very much to do what he can to keep him from being all that he ought to be. And I'd say this to you, that the um, point about a pastor and his third point, and we'll quickly get through these, is that the third thing is that uh, a pastor must have, it must be that he would uh, be a, a, a pattern. He must be a pattern, you know, or you can say a model of the ministry. He's not only have that priority of preaching and praying and pastoring or shepherding, but he also has to be a pattern for the church family, a model, as it were, his whole family. In fact, a passage in First Timothy, listen to this, in First Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number uh, 4 and 5 say, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's a high standard for leadership. And what he's actually setting forth there, and what is, is very important for you and I both to understand, is what he's saying is, and the idea is, if a man, his own wife, and his own children cannot respect and follow him, then it is not likely that the church family will respect and follow him. So he has to have that standard, that high standard set before him. Let me close quickly with a few points. One, let me ask you this. You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the city, he was riding on a donkey. I doubt that you know the name of the donkey. I don't. I don't have a clue what the donkey's name was, but I know this. The people paid little attention to the donkey. They cheered for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every pastor, every preacher, every teacher, every Sunday school teacher, every deacon, everybody who knows Christ as Savior, who has any ministry, ought to be like the donkey. What you ought to do is you carry every preacher, pastor, teacher, worker, Christian, whatever in a church. Ought to carry Jesus to the people. And every time there's a service, every time there's an opportunity, and you ought to carry him into the people. And they ought to see Jesus Christ when you get there. Pastoring is a high privilege, but it is a grave responsibility. And it's important that you folks are honoring your pastor and his family today. Very important. Honor is like a shadow which flees from those that pursue it, but honor follows those that flee it. And someone wrote, Those speak best for Christ that say least about themselves, whose own works praise them and not their own lips. And I agree with that. And I also agree that it's good that people of the Fostory Baptist Church want to praise their pastor and his wife and his children. They want to honor them. They want to bless them as they can. That's a good thing. And I would remind you that humble believers will give others their due praise without fear of diminishing any of themselves. You don't lose anything when you praise people who do a good job and you honor them for doing it. You don't lose anything. You gain. You gain. I encourage you, therefore, today to encourage your pastor and Erica the weight of the Fostoria Baptist Church rests upon their shoulders as the ministry to which God has called them when he brought them there. And the scriptures say it very clearly. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. 
1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. I simply say to you today, stand with the pastor and his wife and children. I say, stand up for them. Oh, there'll always be a critic. And it'd be good if there was someone always there to say, you know, I know him, I listen to him, I don't always agree with him, but I love him, he's my pastor, and I stand with him and his family, and I stand up for them. And I'm saying this to you. Some time ago, in fact now it's been several years ago, I got this letter. It came from a person who had attended our church, and I won't read it all, but let me read just the gist of it, and you'll get the idea. This young lady came to visit us, and she had a meeting that I had a conference with her. My wife was there at the church, and I met with this lady and talked with her about many things. And she thanked us, and she said, when I walked in the New Life Baptist Church, this is after we had the counseling meetings, she said, I was sure that everyone would shun me because of my pink hair and wild clothing. But everyone there was so welcoming and loving. You and your church family were such a huge step in my salvation, and I wanted to thank you so much for that. I also wanted to let you know where I am and what I'm doing. I live in a little town in Indiana. My husband brought me here back in gave a year when we were married. His name is James. He's a wonderful man and pastors here at the little country church called Community Bible Baptist. We just had a baby boy. We named him Jack. He is the light of my life, and he looks just like his daddy. I know it might seem odd to you, to me to write you, but so often we try to be Christ-like planting seed and we never really know what seeds we planted. I've learned as a Christian that I can't worry if other people are getting what I'm trying to witness to them about, but can only pray that I've planted something in them. Sometimes I'd like to know what happened to so-and-so after I talked to them a few months later and I wonder where they are right now. So this is the whole reason for my letter. You have planted a seed in me that is growing, and I pray continues to grow daily. I hope my husband sees it. I hope my children see it. I hope strangers see it. And most of all, I hope Christ sees it, that I want to be like him. So often I look back to that time in your city and remember how lost I was. And it makes my heart happy to see where God has brought me and gets me excited to see where he's going to take me next. I will never forget your kindness and concern for my salvation. You have been in my prayers many times since, and I can't thank you enough for allowing God to use you in my life. I finally have a peace that passes even my understanding and a happiness that no worldly thing could ever give me. May God bless you and the loving members of your church always. From my whole heart, I thank you all sincerely. Now let me tell you, that'll do wonders for a pastor. It'll encourage his heart. He'll work harder. He'll do more. And he'll be grateful. And he'll be humbled. Because, you see, it takes God to do that. No human being can make somebody change to that point. Just can't be done. But here's another side of the coin. Let me give it to you briefly as I close. Many years ago, my wife and I am pastoring in a church in Ohio. And while there, there was an elderly lady who came to our church. She lived right across the street, in fact. She mocked my sermons when I preached she made faces at me as I was speaking. She sometimes laughed out loud at something I would say that was not given as being funny or foolish. She hung a poster on the front entrance of our main building, 
and the poster simply read, Pastor Henry is a devil. She made numerous phone calls to our residents and uh, sometimes just hang up when I answered the phone. She called at all hours of the night, and on one occasion, 2 a.m. in the morning, I jumped up quickly thinking we had an emergency. I answered the phone. She said, just wanted to know if you were up and hung up. What's interesting about this, this lady just disdained me. I didn't know why. I had gone to her. I had had personal meetings with her. I had uh, had a deacon talk to her. I had I'd done all I knew to do to help her. But one day, standing in the auditorium when we had finished a message and everybody was standing for the invitation, she came down the aisle and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. Her life was never the same, and <laughs> frankly, mine never was the same because this lady turned to be a sweet and gracious lady. And she even applied for mission work that would be done in neighborhoods, not away from them, somewhere away from our city, but she was willing to move to go where this mission board was going to send her in a local area that needed some help. And I recommended her. Her spirit changed. Her life changed. She came to church to enjoy the Lord's worship. She came to enjoy the people around her. She enjoyed the children, which she had always disdained before. When God gets a hold of somebody's heart, he changes it for his glory and for their good. Listen to me carefully as I close. There was a time when you were not. You didn't exist. But there'll never be a time when you will go into non-existence. You, everyone in this room, will be somewhere for all eternity. Some people will be living in eternity in heaven. Some will be existing in torment in hell. Because there's only two categories. You remember when the uh, reading about the Titanic, when it sank, 1912? The fact is that you know, it's amazing. About the only thing we know about that thing was it was unsinkable, and then it sunk. What? What's amazing about it was, and all the reports indicated that there were millionaires, there were people who were famous on that thing. I mean, they, it was just loaded with important people. And there were some poor people on that, few people know about it, but they were down in what they call the storage areas where they kept supplies and so forth because they couldn't afford the main fare, so they stuck them down there. So the fact of the matter is, it's interesting, after that ship sunk in the offices of New York that went and sent out the Titanic, they listed all the people, uh, the whole passenger list, but they were divided in just two categories, lost and saved. You see, that erased all the differences in their finances and their character and uh, where they got on, where they were going to get off, all, those, all that was non-invoid. It erased everything except they were lost or they were saved. That's how it is today. Everybody in the auditorium of Fostoria Baptist Church is either saved or lost. There's no in-between. You're not almost saved. You're not almost lost. You are lost if you're not saved. And I say to you today, you don't need to be that way. The Bible says in John chapter 14, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no man, no man, cometh unto the Father but by me. And I would say to you,
Jesus saves, and he does not sink. He saves, but he does not sink. If you want to be saved today, you can. I'm confident there in the Fostoria Baptist Church are people who would be delighted to take a Bible and show you how you can know Christ as your personal Savior. Won't you bow your heads as the pastor comes and closes the service today?